Welcome to another episode of The Chef Educator, the show that provides and discusses various teaching tools, tips, and techniques for the culinary, hospitality, and pastry arts educator. And now, coming to you through the airways from Palm Beach County, Florida, here is your host, doctor, professor, and chef, Mr. Colin Rose. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Chef Educator Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Colin Roach. This podcast was created to be a comprehensive resource for both new and veteran culinary, baking and pastry, and hospitality educators, teachers, and faculty at both secondary and post-secondary educational institutions. Our hope is to offer a collection of practical and effective teaching tools, tips, and techniques that we can all use in our classrooms and our labs. And if this is of interest, please be sure to let us know. And don't forget to subscribe. Give each episode a positive rating on your favorite podcast app. It is only with your help and support that this podcast is possible. We also have a Patreon account as well. So if you really would like to support the show, whether maybe a, a dollar, two dollars a month, we really appreciate it. It would help with web hosting, uh, podcast hosting, and a variety of other small expenses that we have, but it does help offset those expenses, and we really appreciate it. So now let's get right into today's episode, which is titled Exercise for the Brain. In these episodes, I'll be sharing information and research with you from a variety of resources, which I will include in the show notes. A few of the more influential books that I want to mention right away, though, to let you know where a lot of this information came from is, number one, Mind, Brain, and Education, Neuroscience Implications for the Classroom by David Sosa, The New Science of Learning, How to Learn in Harmony with Your Brain by Terry Doyle and Todd Zakasek. Uh, Brain Rules by John Medina, which also has a video, and that's a great book. And the last one, Brain Matters, Translating Research into Classroom Practice by Patricia Wolf. So, starting right out, we know that exercise is great for our bodies, but what about our brains? Does going for a run or picking up some weights really affect the health or strength of our brains? Well, the answer is a resounding yes. Exercise is as good for our brains as it is for our bodies, and researchers are just beginning to discover why. Well, human beings evolved to move. Our bodies, including our brains, were fine-tuned for endurance activities over millennia of stalking and chasing down prey. Though a great deal of our evolutionary history remains shrouded in controversy, the one fact that Every paleoanthropologist on the planet accepts can be summarized into two words. We moved, and we moved a lot. Well, famed anthropologist Richard Wrangham estimates about 10 to 20 kilometers a day for men, and about half that for women is what we traveled. On average, 12 miles a day is the amount of ground scientists estimate we covered on a daily basis back then. That means our fancy brains developed not while we were lounging around, but while we were working out. Unfortunately, we have engineered that out of our lives now. And this toll our relatively new sedentary lifestyle takes on our bodies is clear. And for the first time in U.S. history, some research is estimating that the younger generations today are expected to live shorter, unhealthier lives than their parents. 
While the myriad of ways exercise can shape our bodies are well known, researchers have long suspected the same might be true of the brain. Decades of research have gone into examining the effects of exercise on attention, memory, and visual sensitivity. And there is a very consistent finding that the brain works better after exercise. But why that is has been harder to figure out until recently. And that is because technology has given scientists the tools to zero in on the mechanisms at play. And what they have found is that aerobic exercise appears to lead to changes in both the structure of the brain and the way it operates, which together bolsters learning in kids, gives adults an edge on cognitive tasks, and protects against the cognitive declines that come with age. In other words, our brains become much more active during exercise perhaps more active than any any other time. One way neurons communicate is with electrical pulses, and sometimes entire networks of neurons fire in unison. And these synchronized pulses are known as brain waves. And there are different kinds of brain waves, characterized by the number of times they oscillate in a single second. Lower frequency waves occur when we are running on autopilot, like when we're brushing our teeth or driving or sleeping. Higher frequency waves, known as beta waves, occur when we are awake and mentally engaged. And they're associated with things like attention, memory, and information processing. Well, using tools like, forgive me if I mispronounce this, electroencephalophagram, or an EEG, This can pick up those electrical pulses. Well, the researchers have found that aerobic exercise causes a shift in the amplitude and frequency of brain waves. More beta waves, in other words, means that exercises may be in a more alert state. They found that the brain is in a different gear when the human being is in motion. And this probably has to go back to survival days. You know, it needs to be much more alert. Well, what does this mean for teaching and learning? Well, in an effort to increase academic test scores, unfortunately, many schools and districts have begun focusing more of the school day on core academic subjects, which means at the same time, they are decreasing the amount of time spent on kind of peripheral subjects such as music, art, and physical education. Well, look at this emerging research concerning the effects of exercise on brain function would suggest that this practice might be counterproductive. It appears that exercise may play a very important role in the learning process in several ways. So now let's get into the details a bit more and talk about what exactly researchers know about what is happening in the brain when the heart rate rises And then we can talk about that more from a classroom point of view. Well, the first positive physical effect from exercise is an increased oxygen flow to the bloodstream. Aerobic exercise has been shown to pump more blood throughout the body, including the brain. And more blood means more oxygen, which increases capillary health and the growth and plasticity of the frontal lobes. A second physical benefit comes from the release of protein IGF-1, 
which triggers the release of brain-derived neurotropic factor, or BDFN, which in turn stimulates neural growth and learning. John Raddy, who's a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and he co-author of the book Spark, The Revolutionary New Science of Exercise in the Brain, calls BDNF the miracle grow for the brain. In his book, he also cites studies undertaken in schools that show not only how exercise enhances student learning, but how it positively affects emotional and physical well-being as well. And as I have reported in previous episodes of this podcast, research shows that we continue to grow new neurons throughout our lives. Therefore, a third, and perhaps the most important benefit of exercise, is its potential impact on neurogenesis. Now, neurogenesis has been found in the olfactory bulb and in the dentate gyrus of the hippocampus. Now, knowing that the hippocampus is involved in the storage, consolidation, and retrieval of information, it is important to know if exercise plays a role in the generation of new cells in this structure of the hippocampus. Well, the answer appears that it does just that. And this research may initially appear to have little significance for the classroom teacher who typically does not control school policies regarding physical education classes, or recess schedules. However, there are many classroom variables that teachers do control that can significantly affect their students' activity levels. For example, in the lower classes, some teachers are having their students learn math facts and multiplication tables by marching to music. Other teachers are having their students act out nouns and verbs and adjectives in a charade fashion in their classes, while others have their students participate in role-playing an event in history. But you see, the key point here is they're having their students move. And even if you don't do it full-time in your classroom, just adding some movement activities to your lessons can serve as a quick brain break especially when students have been sitting idle for a prolonged period of time. Many teachers use simple movements, such as, you know, have new jumping jacks or hopping on one foot as a way of increasing oxygen flow to their students' brains and to release pent-up energy. John Raddy goes on to say that getting adequate exercise, especially aerobic exercise, is the single most important thing a person can do to improve their learning. It's pretty deep. He states that when humans exercise specific neurochemicals and proteins, which are the messengers of the brain, are released in greater amounts. These chemicals and proteins improve human ability to take in, process, and remember new information and skills. We just only have to think back evolution to see that the human brain developed while in almost constant motion. Unfortunately, modern conveniences have made it possible to interact within our communities with very little movement. And as it turns out, this may not be helpful when it comes to learning. And an abundance of evidence supports the importance of exercise and students' ability to learn. Our brains were shaped and sharpened by movement and we continue to require 
regular physical activity in order for our brains to function optimally. Being in motion by walking, for example, when thinking about how to solve a problem or developing ideas for a paper or brainstorming a speech or you know performing many other learning tasks is optimal way to learn. Walk, walk, walk. Move, move, move. One famous piece of advice is that if you have an important decision to make, then go for a walk. You know, go out and let your mind clear and take a walk. You will see clearer and be better prepared to make that decision after your walk. When we think about the positive effects of movement on learning, we can see that in many significant ways, our schools have had it wrong for hundreds of years. Sitting at a desk may be practical for taking notes, but it is not nearly as effective as walking when learning new material. And here is why. In 1995, Carl Kottman, the director of the Institute for Brain Aging and Dementia at the University of California, Irvine, discovered that exercise sparks the master molecule of the learning process, which we've already talked about as brain-derived neurotropic factor, or BDNF. And it's a protein produced inside nerve cells when they are active. It serves as fertilizer for brain cells, keeping them functioning and growing, as well as spurring the growth of new neurons. BDNF makes learning easier. And with this discovery, Kotman demonstrated a direct biological connection between movement and learning. And since Kotman's findings, thousands of studies on BDNF have shown its power to improve learning. Raddy writes, Exercise strengthens the cellular machinery of learning by creating BDNF, which gives the synapses the tools they need to take in information, process it, associate it, remember it, and put it in context. BDNF improves every aspect of the learning process at the cellular level. And research by UCLA neuroscientist Fernando Gomez Panella and his colleague shows that a brain low on BDNF shuts itself off to new information. When the protein BDNF is present in your brain in greater amounts, your brain is better able to make the connections between the brain cells, the neural networks, that are physical representations of what you have learned. To reiterate, this protein actually makes learning easier. In other words, BDNF produced by exercise makes learning easier. And this protein, it gathers in reserved pools near synapses in the brain and is unleashed when we get our blood pumping. BDNF also works to limit the impact of stress on the brain, and it also protects the brain from diseases. A lack of BDNF makes it harder to learn what you need to know. Now, exercise also increases the production of three important neurochemicals that are involved in learning, which are serotonin, dopamine, and neuropronephrine. These neurochemicals help your brain to be alert, attentive, and motivated for learning. And because of an improved mood, they provide a positive outlook towards learning. And this also helps to enhance our patience and self-control. And all of these conditions are crucial to successful learning. But as we know as teachers, students staying awake, focused, motivated, and positive on a daily basis can be difficult. 
especially in high school and college. If students are alert, focused, attentive, positive, motivated, and engaged in the learning activities of the class, then they are most likely in the perfect frame of mind to learn. Therefore, by increasing the levels of these three neurochemicals, exercise gives everyone the tools they need to make any learning situation highly productive. Now, going back, and I've explained these before, synapses are structures that permit neurons, brain cells, to pass an electrical or chemical signal to another cell, allowing the cells to combine in networks. And these neural networks are so important for learning. In this manner, these cells communicate with one, one another, and this binding is the cellular basis for learning new information. Well, exercise stimulates the production of these new synapses. This is significant because the number of synapses and their efficiency underlie superior intelligence. Or put simply, exercise makes it easier for you to grow smarter. Exercise also spurs the development of new brain cells. These cells develop as stem cells and form in the hippocampus, which is an important memory area of the brain. The relationship between growing new brain cells and improving learning continues to be studied, but there are indications that growing more brain cells helps improve learning and memory. And in a recent study out of Columbia University Medical Center, neurologists found that the new neurons created by exercise cropped up only in one place, and that is the dentate gyrus of the hippocampus, which I mentioned earlier. And this is an area that controls learning and memory. Well, the study found that exercise seems to restore this dentate gyrus of the hippocampus to a healthier, younger state. Now, I'm probably mispronouncing this, but you get the idea. And although evidence suggests there is less neurogenesis or new brain cell growth as we age, Exercise has been shown to be powerful in keeping brain functions healthy and productive at all ages. So right there, as we age, it's good to keep exercising. It's also important to mention that any movement is better than no movement when it comes to improving learning. However, the real benefit that neuroscience researchers have discovered comes from regular physical activity or exercise. And in particular, they really talk about aerobic exercise. Aerobic exercise is any activity that raises the body's demand for oxygen, resulting in a temporary increase in respiration rate and heart rate. Well, your heart becomes stronger and works more efficiently with regular aerobic exercise. And aerobic exercise can be any activity that uses large muscles in continuous rhythmic motion to elevate your heart rate. Now, although aerobics plays a significant role in improving learning, trying to learn new or difficult material while engaged in aerobics is counterproductive, as blood flows away from the brain during aerobics. So, movement is helpful while learning, and aerobic exercise is helpful before learning, not during. Now, the question of how much exercise is needed to experience learning benefits has not been fully answered. And I'm sure it's going to depend on the individual, the person. But it is clear, however, that trying to learn something new, difficult, or complex while engaged in aerobic activity is a bad idea, no matter who you are. 
Because when engaged in that aerobic activity, as I just mentioned, blood flows away from the prefrontal cortex, which is our chief executive officer of the brain. And so when it's away from that, nothing's going to be happening. However, once your exercise is completed, blood flow returns to the prefrontal cortex almost immediately, creating an ideal time for learning to take place. Going back to Rady, he suggests that 30 minutes of exercise in which our heart rate reaches the appropriate levels for our age four to five times a week is a good baseline. Remember, though, that any exercise is beneficial, but aerobic exercise is the gold standard. There are also many ways to add exercise to your life, even if you can't go to a gym every day. You know, many schools across the country allow students to sit on balance balls instead of chairs. And a balance ball gives the learner greater freedom of movement, including the ability to bounce up and down at will. This small amount of movement has been shown to keep the prefrontal cortex more engaged and to help with paying attention, which is a crucial first step in learning anything. One college campus computer lab that was in Houston, I saw in the research, had under every computer a mini stationary bike. So students could sit there at a computer and pedal away for miles while they did you know, their homework or they wrote papers or they worked on the computer. Now, one of the simplest ways that we and our students can add exercise to our lives is, of course, to walk to class. You know, if you strapped on a pedometer, if you looked on your watch or Apple Watch, you tracked your steps... You'd be surprised how many steps we take every day as we crisscross campus. And another tip, stay out of elevators. Those stairs are great. They're going to raise that heart rate. And other tips would be to park far away, you know, the farthest away you can on campus from where you need to go so we get more steps in. And to go for a walk between classes or during breaks from study or after class. You know, just get moving, even if it's just a little bit. Whatever method or activity we decide to use personally, it is all beneficial. And as teachers, if we do decide to implement exercise or movement activities into our classrooms, I think it's a good idea and important to explain it to our students and maybe even your administrators or if you're in the lower levels, the parents as well. And tell them why you have added this to your class or why you have added movement to your lesson plan. And the ability to explain the research that underlies this concept not only will increase a teacher's professional credibility, but it makes it more likely that these activities will be seen as relevant to student learning. Now, moving your body is one of the most beneficial things you can do for your mind. And here are some brain-boosting reasons that you can share with your students or parents or administrators as to why the research says exercise is good. Okay, so I have a bullet point list here that I got from the research. Number one, improved mood. Believe it or not, exercise can help to reduce the feelings and symptoms associated with both short and long-term depression. In studies done with people currently suffering from depression, physical activity was shown to increase feelings of hopefulness and decrease depressive symptoms. It's also been found that people with anxiety tend to suffer less panic attacks when they begin a regime of exercising regularly. So if you tend to suffer from anxiety or depression or just have had a stressful day and are looking for a boost, look no further than going for a walk or putting on your gym shoes or, you know, pumping some weights. Number two, more resilient to stress. Exercising regularly can help your brain better adapt to stress. 
Stress, of course, has a negative effect on the brain, and exercise can not only help you better deal with present stress, but it can make you more resilient when it comes to both physical and emotional stressors in the future as well. Memory benefits. Exercise has incredible benefits when it comes to improving and preserving your memory. One particular study found that moderate aerobic exercise significantly improved people's spatial memory, which is the kind of memory you would use for like directions or finding your way through a maze, as well as increase the overall size of the hippocampus, which as I already mentioned is a vital brain structure when it comes to learning and memory. Improve social skills. Research from the University of Michigan suggests that exercise can help improve overall social function, especially in adolescence. Team sports specifically can help to build a sense of self-esteem, leadership, and even empathy. To get the most out of your exercise, encourage students to join a school sports team. Another one is better sleep. When it comes to getting a better night's sleep, scientific studies have yet to find a better activity than exercise. Because exercise raises your core body temperature, and then, after exercise, that temperature falls again, which can help promote a better night's sleep. Weightlifting, specifically, has also been shown to be an especially effective form of exercise when it comes to falling and staying asleep. And then there's new brain cells, which I mentioned earlier. Exercise, especially cardio exercise, like vigorous walking, running, or dancing, have been shown to actually help your brain to create new neurons. And that's that neurogenesis. And in areas like the hippocampus, which already mentions a vital brain structure when it comes to learning and memory. So next time you head out for that walk or run or a bike ride, just think about all the new brain cells you'll be getting while you're out there doing that. You may also want to share with your students some of the other benefits of exercise. We've all heard that exercise is good for you, how it strengthens our hearts and lungs and helps us prevent diseases like diabetes, but many people don't know about the other important benefits of exercise, which is how it helps us find happiness, hope, connections, and courage. This is where research has shown that people who are physically active are happier and more satisfied with their lives. They have a stronger sense of purpose and experience more gratitude, more love, more hope, and they feel more connected to their communities and they're less likely to suffer from loneliness and become depressed. These benefits are seen throughout the lifespan as well, including among those living with serious mental and physical health challenges. And that's true whether their preferred activity is walking, running, swimming, dancing, bike riding, playing sports, lifting weights, yoga, all of these are shown to be good. Why is movement linked with this such wide range of psychological benefits? Well, one reason is its powerful and profound effect on the brain. And here are a few surprising ways that being active is good for your brain and how you can harness these benefits yourself. So I want to talk about the high. You may have heard about this before. The exercise high primes you to connect with others. So although typically described as a runner's high, an exercise-induced mood boost is not exclusive to running. A similar bliss can be found in any sustained physical activity. Scientists have long speculated that endorphins are behind the high, but research shows the high is linked to another class of brain chemicals. And these, I may mispronounce them, are called endocannabinoids. 
And they're the same chemicals mimicked by cannabis, what neuroscientists describe as don't worry, be happy chemicals. These are areas of the brain that regulate the stress response, including the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. They are rich in receptors for this endocannabinoids. And when these endocannabinoids molecules lock into these receptors, they reduce anxiety and induce a state of contentment. Endocannabinoids also increase dopamine in the brain's reward system, which further fuels feelings of optimism. This exercise high also primes us to connect with others by increasing the pleasure we derive from being around other people, which can strengthen relationships. So many people use exercise as an opportunity to connect with friends or loved ones. Among married couples, when spouses exercise together, both partners report more, more closeness later that day, including feeling loved and supported. Again, that's what the research shows in some of their studies. Another study found that on days when people exercise, they report more positive interactions with friends and family. And even they may even say, as one runner in one of the studies said, my family will sometimes send me out running as they know I'll come back a much better person. So when they're kind of cranky, they might say, hey, you need to go for a run. You need to go exercise. Why don't you go to the gym? Because they know they're going to come back better. Exercise can make your brain more sensitive to joy as well. When you exercise, you provide a low-dose jolt to the brain's reward centers, the system of the brain that helps you anticipate pleasure, feel motivated, and maintain hope. Over time, regular exercise remodels the reward system, leading to higher circulating levels of dopamine and more available dopamine receptors. In this way, exercise can both relieve depression and expand your capacity for joy. These changes can also repair the neurological havoc wrecked by substance abuse. You know, substance abuse lowers the level of dopamine in your brain and reduces the availability of dopamine receptors. So as a result, people struggling with addiction can feel unmotivated, depressed, antisocial, unable to enjoy ordinary pleasures. Well, exercise can reverse this. Jumpstarting the brain's reward system benefits not just those who struggle with depression or addiction. Our brains change as we age, and adults lose up to 13% of the dopamine receptors in the reward system with each passing decade. Therefore, if you're old, you're going to get rewards from this too, or as you age. This loss leads to less enjoyment of everyday pleasures, but physical activity can prevent the decline. And compared to their inactive peers, active older adults have reward systems that more closely resemble those of individuals who are decades younger. So there's a benefit in, there, in that way as well. Exercise also makes you brave. That's a good one. Courage is another side effect of physical activity on the brain. At the very same time that a new exercise habit is enriching or enhancing the reward system, it also increases neural connections among areas of the brain that calm anxiety. Regular physical activity can also modify the default state of the nervous system so that it becomes more balanced and less prone to fight, flight, or fight. The latest research even suggests that lactate, which is the metabolic byproduct of exercise that is commonly, but the research is now showing erroneously, blamed for muscle soreness, has positive effects on mental health. 
So after lactate is released by the muscles, it travels through the bloodstream to the brain where it alters your neurochemistry in a way that can reduce anxiety and protect against depression. Another thing is moving with others builds trust and belonging. In 1912, French sociologist uh, Durkheim coined the term collective effervescence to describe the euphoric self-transcendence individuals feel when they move together in ritual, prayer, or work. Moving with others, for example, in group exercise, yoga, or dance classes is one of the most powerful ways to experience joy. Psychologists believe the key to producing collective joy is synchrony or moving in the same way and at the same time as others because it triggers a release of endorphins. This is why dancers and rowers who move in sync show an increase in pain tolerance. But endorphins don't just make us feel good, they help us bond as well. People sharing an endorphin rush through a collective activity like trust feel closer to one another afterwards. It's a powerful neurobiological mechanism for forming relationships, even with people we don't know. Group exercise has managed to capitalize on the social benefits of synchronized movement. For example, the more you get your heart rate up, the closer you feel to the people you move in unison with. And adding music even enhances the effect. Breathing in unison can also amplify the feeling of collective joy, as may happen like in a yoga class. We were born with brains able to craft a sense of connection to others that is visceral as the feedback coming from our own heart, lungs, and muscles. And this is an astonishing thing. We humans can go about most of our lives sensing and feeling ourselves as separate, but through one small action, like coming together in movement, we can dissolve those boundaries that divide us. Another thing the research says is trying a new activity can transform your self-image. Every time you move your body, sensory receptors in your muscles, tendons, and joints send information to your brain about what is happening. This is why if you close your eyes and raise one arm, you can feel the shift in position and know where your arm is in space. You don't have to watch what's happening. You can sense yourself. Well, the ability to perceive your body's movement is called proprioception and is sometimes referred to as the sixth sense. It helps us move through space with ease and skill and plays a surprisingly important role in self-concept, which is how you think about who you are and how you imagine others see you. When you participate in any physical activity, your moment-to-moment sense of self is shaped by the qualities of your movement. If you move with grace, your brain perceives the elongation of your limbs and the fluidity of your steps. When you move with power, your brain encodes the explosive contraction of muscles, senses the speed of the action, and understands, I am powerful. If there is a voice in your head saying, you're too old, too awkward, too big, too broken, too weak, sensations from movements can provide a compelling counter-argument. Physical accomplishments change how you think about yourself and what you are capable of, and the effects should not be underestimated. So what's the best form of exercise for our brains? Well, the answer is everything. The best exercise routine for our brains will involve at least 
20 minutes of physical activity with an elevated heart rate four times or plus four plus times a week. The key is to keep it up. Our brains are more challenged when we step outside of our routine, and that includes our exercise routine. If you walk every day, try alternating walking with a lightweight training or even core and stretching. A balanced exercise program will include elements of cardio, weight training, balance, stretching, and core. However, exercises should be realistic about what aerobic activities can do for their brain. You shouldn't expect to increase your IQ or anything of that nature. We're talking about small to moderate effects, which are potentially great for improving cognition and brain health. But it would be great to envision a future in which doctors prescribe exercise instead of drugs. We know that exercise is a potential prophylactic against some aspects of age-related cognitive decline. When you think of the fact that we have an aging demographic and the high prevalence of depression, there might be a simpler treatment out there like exercise. So as a recap, exercise sparks BDNF, which is a protein produced inside nerve cells when they are active. It serves as fertilizer for brain cells, keeping them functioning and growing and spurs growth of new neurons. Hence, there is a direct biological connection between movement and learning. BDNF, the miracle grow for the brain, improves every aspect of the learning process at the cellular level. A brain low on BDNF shuts itself off to new information. If a BDNF actually makes learning easier, it gathers in reserve pools near synapses in the brain and is unleashed when we get our blood pumping. It works to limit the effects of stress in the brain and protect it from disease. And exercise also increases production of serotonin, dopamine, and neuroepinephrine, which helps your brain be alert, attentive, positive, and motivated for learning. These also help enhance patience, self-control, and concentration. Exercise prepares and encourages nerve cells to bind to one another, which is the cellular basis for learning new information. It also stimulates production of new synapses, and the number of synapses in their binding underlie superior intelligence. Hence, exercise makes it easier to grow more intelligent, which is the key for us as teachers. Exercise spurs development of new brain cells, which develop as stem cells and form in the hippocampus, which we know is an important memory area of the brain. Ties right into learning. These new neurons cropped up only in the dentate gyrus area of the hippocampus, which is the area that controls, again, learning and memory. And exercise restores this to a healthier, younger state. Hence, exercise keeps brain functions healthy and productive as we age as well. Therefore, in conclusion, movement enhances learning and memory. The typical classroom setting in which students sit and get is being challenged by these research findings showing that the brain is active when learners are moving around. Movement brings additional fuel-carrying blood to the brain. It also allows the brain to assess more long-term memory areas, which is an ancient survival strategy, right? To go back to those learning areas, which is also thereby helping students make greater connections between new and prior learning. 
Furthermore, exercise is shown to be strongly correlated with increases in brain mass and cell production, as well as improved cognitive processing and mood regulation. So all of these findings should encourage us as teachers to get our students up and moving in the classroom. It also should discourage administrators from eliminating recess and physical education classes, which is unfortunately a common practice in the current era of high-stakes testing. We thank you for listening in today. The Chef Educator Podcast is a proud member of the Food Media Network.